Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is JT Torres. JT Torres is one of the biggest names in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Third-degree black belt, two-time Abu Dhabi champion, world no-gi champion, three-time Pan Am champion, champion of the New York, the Miami, and the Atlanta Open, European champion. He has fought on Metamoris and is also the owner of Essential Jiu-Jitsu in Hartsdale, New York, and has two DVDs, I believe, two, right, out on BJJ Fanatics. Yep. Awesome, man. And uh, I know you got a new one just came out that I think was bottom game, right? Yeah. So the they, so I filmed two DVDs, you know, at the same time, but we released the top game first. And then uh, recently, these past few days, we released the bottom game. So I'm excited for people to get their hands on that one and give me some feedback. I'm sure people are going to enjoy it. I mean, these are techniques I use uh, to win at the highest level. So I'm confident these are techniques everyone can use and add to their games. Nice, man. And uh, I did. I forgot to tell you yesterday when I asked about the bottom one, but I already own the other one. So I did buy it. I didn't want you to think I forgot about it, but I got the one that I got the other. So I'll definitely check it out this weekend and uh, I'll beat up my grappling dummy a little bit. (laughs) But man, that is is quite the resume. And there was actually more stuff on there that I figured I just didn't want to have all this, man. But how's that feel? Does that feel surreal? It does, man. It does. But it feels feels right, though, because I've worked super hard to get to where I'm at today. Um, that's, that's one thing that I've always, I've always done. I've given it my 110% in anything that I do. And, you know, obviously I, early on in my life, I chose the path of jujitsu. I told myself I want to do this full time and I wanted to make a name for myself. I wanted to prove to the world that I'm amongst the elite, that I'm one of the best in the world. And, you know, hard work got me to where I'm at today. That's awesome, man. And, uh, you know, I, I travel around, obviously it's, it's how we met and I go to a lot of different places and I try and train with the best guys in every city. And a lot of the time I'm surprised how hard it is to get people to train early with me. Cause usually like I have to speak all day. So, but you actually, it was funny cause I was in San Diego when you were out there at Atos yeah. and I called them up and I was like, I just really need to train. I've been on the road. I have nobody to train with. Like, is there anybody that would meet me at like five 30 tomorrow morning or something? And she was like, JT Torres will. And I was like, really? And I was like, isn't he, doing metamorphosis like tonight she's like yeah yeah but he'll meet you tomorrow morning and i was like all right that's awesome but you know i, would, I was just like what the hell but i feel like that's that's just the kind of uh the kind of guy you are it's like you're competing at metamorphosis against rory mcdonald at night and then you're right back in the gym the next morning like doing privates and getting back on the mat like so that type of work ethic and that type of dedication doesn't you don't get that credentials by by being lazy and not having that type of discipline and dedication to it man so I think that's awesome and, and again I appreciate it that was really cool of you to do and um I was almost pissed when you left California because I was like man I just started getting somebody to meet me down there and then you moved everything to New York and uh I think I was actually out there your last weekend at Autos before you went back to New York because I remember they sent yeah. like the email that and you were like bad news and I was like ah but uh <laughs> man, I'm really I'm proud of you for doing that and uh I think one of the hardest things about Autos was for me, every time I would come out of those lessons with you, there was a, a jack-in-the-box in the parking lot. Yeah, 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 right across the street in that parking lot, yep. Yeah, I was like, man, I can get out, you feel a healthy, and I have no 
no discipline for like fast food and drive throughs And I, I was telling you yesterday, like I'm a sucker for limited time only. So that's why I'm buying like everything I see out there that's like a COVID sale. So we don't have Jack in the Box out here on the East Coast. So every time I left there, I was like, man, I don't know what JT in the morning. I earned that Jack in the Box. I'm going to go through it. <laughs> earned all the calories and stuff. But, um, you know, before we get into the jujitsu stuff, one of the things that um, I heard about you that I was like, you know what? That's why that's my guy. Because I heard that your favorite fast food is Shake Shack. I love Shake Shack, man. Shake Shack to me is number one. And I, you know, and this is coming from a guy who lived in California for four years. And the reason why I say that, you know, everyone in California lives by In-N-Out. And I had to preach out there. I had to tell the guys, look, In-N-Out's great. It's good, but it's no Shake Shack, man. Shake Shack's number one in my book. I agree, man. Everybody's always, I get in that battle too. People are always like, uh, in and out, in and out. And I'm like, well, I mean, did you go out there once for a vacation and you had it? They're like, yeah. I'm like, I, I've been out there a lot. Like, if I get it and it's great, it's great. But Shake Shack is consistently good. Like, yeah, a very hit or miss experience is I think it's the allure of like that they don't have it out there and they hear I got to go out there and eat it. It's more like the experience. For sure. Shake Shack's better, dude, for sure. All day long. Man. That's, that's my Friday night treat to myself. Usually that's what I do. When I'm not, you know, training for a big tournament, obviously, but what I'll do, I'll tell myself in the beginning, beginning of the week, if I work hard all week and if I hit all my training sessions, I'll treat myself to Shake Shack Friday nights. And I've been doing that for the last couple of years. That's my treat to myself. Nice, man. Yeah, we're like dogs. we got to get treats. Like, you know, you yeah. work hard and get it at the end of the weekend. And it's, I, I talked to a couple of guys that actually worked there for a while and they worked it in and out and they were telling me how the... The food there is actually higher quality and it's, it's better for you. So sometimes you can eat that and then not feel like a total piece of shit after you eat it. So I kind of like that about yeah. it. So it was good. But uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll jump into a bunch of stuff here, man. I have so many different directions of things I want to I wanna go over with you. One of the things was I heard you telling the story about how you got your blue belt. And uh, I don't, I'm sure everybody remembers pretty much like every belt they get. But uh, getting one from Hoist Gracie had to have been quite a crazy experience and I, I know you said you took a picture and you were wondering if he even remembered that he yeah. gave you that belt and I, I think that was from a few months ago so I wanted to know if that got out and circled back around and you did get to find out if he remember giving you your blue belt or not. No I haven't heard from him yet you know I follow him on Instagram and stuff like that but I haven't I haven't heard from him yet. Um, I, I'll reach back out to Hoist and send him a message one of these days to see if he does remember me but yeah I remember getting that blue belt from him was just it was crazy, man. I remember, you know, early on during that time watching the UFC with my dad and and uh, some of my friends and just watching Hoist, you know, tap out bigger guys in the in the cage, and just to get a belt from him was, was crazy. And I remember during that time, the highest belt I've seen in person was a purple belt, I think. So, you know, my instructor at the time was a was a blue belt, and then a purple belt would come in once in a while to train with us and teach us. So. Um, when Hoist came in for his seminar, that's the first time I've ever seen an, uh, a jiu-jitsu black belt in person. So I was just astonished, right? And at, by that point, I've been training for a few months. And I remember my teacher, um, I mean, I, I wasn't, he did it behind my back. So it was like a little surprise. But my teacher told Hoist, hey, man, I got this kid. He's been working hard. He's really talented. I, you know, give him a look and see if you think he's ready for a promotion or not. If not, cool. And Hoist, you know, uh, after the seminar, he had me spar with different people. He watched me spar. Then he sparred with me, kicked my ass. And then uh, he told me, hey, man, congratulations. You're a blue belt. And I was like, whoa, I got my blue belt from the legend, you know, Hoist Gracie. So it was a, a surreal moment for me, man. But I'm curious. I'm still curious. So 
voice, if you're, if you're watching this, hearing this, man, let me know. Let me know if you do remember me. That's awesome, man. So who, who I know obviously you got your black belt from, but who gave you your other belts along the way? And do you have any memories of getting those belts? I mean, it's probably the days when they were still doing like the, the gauntlets and whipping and I've seen yep. some, like the Ironmans and stuff like that. Oh yeah, I definitely got whipped for my belts. But um, so I got my my blue belt from Hoist, right? And then after I got my blue belt, I you know I, I got deeper into the jiu-jitsu game. Like I wanted to compete more. I, just, I, I told myself, this is what I want, man. I want to do this. I want to be a world champion. I want to I want to have it all. Everything I can accomplish, I want to try to accomplish it. So, um, like I said, during that time, I was just training with my karate teacher, who was a blue belt in jiu-jitsu. So my first teacher was just a blue belt. Um, and credit to him, he, he, he set me on the right path and he taught me a lot of good things. And, you know, he was my first intro to jiu-jitsu. So uh, my dad actually ended up living in New Jersey. So my parents split. My dad moved to New Jersey. So I would see my dad on the weekends. And I remember one, one day he called me this after he moved into a new apartment up there. He'd say, hey, I passed by this academy, um, jiu-jitsu academy. Maybe when you come check me out on the weekend, we'll go look at it. We'll go take a peek. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's go. So we went, and when I went, it was a, an academy called Performance Jiu-Jitsu, and there was a guy named Lou Ventiloro in there, and he was a black belt. So I remember seeing that, I'm like, whoa. Like, this is the second time I've ever seen an actual black belt in person now. I'm like, whoa, man, this guy's a black belt, and he was a black belt under Hoyler Gracie. So I, I started training there on the weekends. I started training there on the weekends, and then from the weekends, it turned to once, twice a week. My dad would, would drive down to New York, pick me up, drive me to New Jersey, train, and drop me back off. So, you know, big, uh, big shout out to my dad for, you know, putting all those miles and uh, taking me up and down the, the Garden State Park where to get me to training. But, yeah, so that's where I started training after I got my blue belt was at Performance Jiu-Jitsu. And under Lou, I got my purple belt and my brown belt. Um, my purple belt came, honestly, a few months after I started training at Lou. So it was probably – Man, I, I want to say I got my, my blue belt within four or five months of training. So I probably got my purple belt within a year and a few months of training altogether. So I got my purple belt really fast. Um, but that's because I think I was just – I was that young killer on the mats. And they were like, man, this kid's good. You know, and I was competing a lot in the local tournaments. Then we only had, like, Grapplers, Quest, and Nagas. I remember those yeah. were, like, the big ones. I remember the big one for me was Battle of the Beach in Wildwood, New Jersey. <laughs> and, uh, but I remember uh, those, those were like our world championships, our Pan Ams, our ADCCs then. And I remember I was doing really well on, on the local circuit. So I got promoted to Purple Belt. And when I got promoted to Purple Belt, I was only 16. I was super young. Um, but I, I, I did well at Purple Belt. I proved myself at Purple Belt. And I remember I took a trip out to California to fight Pan Ams as an adult in the Purple Belt division, which now I don't think you can do anymore because now they have the new rules in place with the age limits for, for belts. But I remember I went out there and I made it to the finals at the adult division. I remember I had four or five fights and I lost in the finals, but I mean, a 16 year old in the purple division, making it to the finals of Pan Ams was crazy then. So um, shortly after that, maybe I would say a year after that, I got my brown belt. And I remember my, my brown belt because I got my brown belt the day before I turned 18 years old. So when I got my brown belt, I was only 17. I remember how it happened where we were uh, in class, obviously, right? We were warming up. I remember we were jogging around the mats. And then my instructor at the time said, all right, guys, I got a special announcement. So everyone stopped. Like, oh, what, you know, what's going on? Like, JT, step up. I was like, okay. Boom, brown belt. I was like, whoa, this is crazy, man. And then uh, 
you know, obviously there's a big step up in competition from purple to brown. So when I got to my brown belt, I started competing against some guys who were, you know, a next, the next level, the next step above, right? And I started feeling that I needed to reach out to train and, and learn more. And Performance Jiu-Jitsu was a great academy, uh, but it was definitely an academy for, you know, the everyday person, which is perfect. They didn't really have many competitors there, and competition wasn't really something they pushed there, which is fine. But, you know, I wanted to compete. I was a young kid. I was 17 years old when I got my, my brown belt. So I want to, you know, I'm, I'm on, a, on the path to prove I can be one of the best in the world. So uh, I met Jared Weiner through Wilson. Uh, I met Jared Weiner through competing against Wilson Hayes in like local, uh, like pro divisions then. They used to put like these little pro divisions. I remember I fought Wilson like in a, in a pro division down in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And Wilson at the time was a really, really good black belt. And we had battles, man, really close fights. So people started taking notice like, man, this young kid is going toe to toe with this black belt. And through there, I met Jared. And then I remember asking Jared if I can come down to Philadelphia to train with them. And that's where I started training down in Philadelphia. And eventually, that's where I got my black belt from, from, from Jared and Lloyd. And, yeah, the rest is history, man. But, yeah, purple and brown came from Lou. Black came from Jared. Nice, man. That, that's awesome. And you, you've been all over for a bunch of different academies. And, uh, you know, some gyms that you go to when you walk in there – you just you just get a certain feeling when you walk in. Like yeah. obviously, you know, I always got that from you know Matt Sarah. I've been with him forever. I'm training at in Latin Chicago now. But um, I remember I went and I trained at Lloyd Irvin's place in Maryland with uh, Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Oh, he's a big dude, man. Dude, he's huge. <laughs> and I didn't know. And uh, my my dude Mark Turner, who runs uh, BJJ Lab Naperville out here in Chicago, he I, I went to this other school out there, and it, it was I did a private with some guy. I never met him before. It was not good. And I was like, man, like, that sucked. Yeah. And he was like, I'm going to hook you up. You're going to train with this guy, Muhammad Ali, tomorrow. I didn't know who he was. So the Uber driver drives me to, like, the to Lloyd Irvin's place, which is, like, in that strip mall. The strip mall, yeah, yeah. It's early. So it's, like, kind of half light, half dark, and there's nobody around. So the Uber driver's like, are you sure this is where you're supposed to be? And I go, I think so. And you just see this kind of, like, shadow, like a silhouette of a body, like, stand up with this hoodie. And it just jacked. Dude, and I was like, oh, he's like, that's the guy you're here to meet, like in this abandoned building. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but nicest guy. But when uh, when I walked in, and you walk through that hallway, and there's just all the medals and the trophies and the belts and the stuff of like Dominic Cruz and stuff. It was like, man, they've had some like big names in here. And you know, walking into Otto when I called up and she was like, here's the list of the black belts we have here. I was like, damn, dude, like very impressive, man. And you're right up at the top of all those, man. So that's. That says a lot, man, but that's cool. And um, and I like I liked that you've gone to all these places. I heard you talking about how you've morphed your own style, basically, from going and training in all these different places. And, you know, obviously with Galvao and Lloyd Irvin and all the guys over there. And, um, going from, like, New York to Maryland to San Diego and then back to New York, how have you found um, – are you seeing, like, a big difference in the way guys are training from gym to gym? And not only that, but I wanted to hear your impression of how guys are training – now versus how they were when you first started because you were even talking about how when you were doing the tournaments i remember doing those tournaments when like my first tournament was in the basement of a church in new jersey and it was like the the like jigsaw mats it was terrible or you had to drive all the way out i remember always getting lost on the way back but now the tournaments are so much bigger and they're all over the place and they're in all the states and they're run better and they're more professional so what are you seeing as far as the way that the the sport has just changed as far as competing 
and training over the years across the country from then to now? Yeah, man, it's a huge difference from from when I was coming up through the ranks and and uh, competing at those small Nagas and Grapplers Quests back 10, 15 years ago now. Um, big difference in the sense of everything's just stepped up uh, to a different uh, level now. Everything's a lot more professional. And I think it, it started with the with the athletes, right? The athletes started getting better and better and better. I remember when I first started training, training consisted of, you know, you go in, learn a technique, drill it, roll, and go home, and do it again tomorrow or the next day or whenever you come back to the academy. Where now, I mean, at least for myself, and I know other jiu-jitsu athletes are training more like pro athletes where there's nutrition involved now. There's uh, strength conditioning involved uh, that, you know, you, you, you take care of your body a lot better. And, you know, you, you set goals for yourself in the sense of you have a calendar, at least I do, where I'll have certain tournaments I'm looking to hit. And then I'll write my, my training camps out for those tournaments where in the past, I remember, yeah, I'm going to sign up for this tournament. When is it? Next week. All right. Let's go. Where is it? Pennsylvania? All right, we'll drive. Who's driving? You know, so it's a lot more professional. And because the athletes became a lot more professional in their training and their approach to competing, the, the tournament stepped up. You know, uh, now we see a lot more money put out there for the athletes and put into the tournaments. You know, the tournaments have invested money into their events as well, which I think helped raise the level of jujitsu. So that's one thing I'll say, too. And, and I remember going from Maryland to California. Um, I mean, guys. Where we were training like pro athletes in Maryland and we we're training like pro athletes in, in California too. So uh, those two experiences were really good for me. But I remember the biggest difference for me was when I went out to California, I felt the level of jiu-jitsu was higher, right? Maybe now it's evened out more, but I think that's due to the simple fact that there's so many more uh, high-level black belts that lived in California at the time or who moved from Brazil to California to teach. You didn't have many high-level black belts moving to Maryland to open academies, right? Most of them went I moved to like San Diego or LA, warm weather with palm trees. So um, when I went out to California after being in Maryland for five years, I felt my level of technique was a little behind. But being out there, I was able to catch up pretty quickly. Uh, but we still trained really hard in Maryland. So physically, I was ready to go. But uh, technically, I had to catch up. So I would say that's one thing I noticed where the level of jiu-jitsu on the east wasn't as high as out on the west then. That's like, what, 10 years ago now. But now I think things have caught up and jiu-jitsu is just spreading worldwide too. So even the level, like you see the level in Europe going through the roof now. You see a lot of really tough European jiu-jitsu fighters coming coming to the circuit. Um, and Asian fighters, you know, Japanese and Koreans. So you see a lot of tough dudes coming out of the woodworks now. So, um, yeah, man, everything stepped up for the good, though. Everything stepped up and big difference from, from those old grapplers, quests, and Naga days, man. That's for sure. Yeah, it's crazy. And I, I found that, um, you know, Matt, Matt Sarah has always been really cool. I always call him and say like, hey, I'm in California. Mind if I go train with JT or like yeah. wherever I am, I'll, I'll hit him up. And he's always good. Hey, tell him I said hi. Like he's always been, um, you know, an advocate for jujitsu. He's never been very, but I've always heard that there's a lot of politics and don't go there and don't train with this guy. And yeah. um, I feel like that's something that I've seen a lot less of because like, and Matt would never do it to me, but other people would hit me up and be like, hey, bro. Like, you shouldn't go here. You shouldn't do that. Watch out for this. Whereas, like, now you got, like, Pete Iacovazzi coming down and training guys in Chicago and then other people. Like, the, uh-huh. I feel like the sport has more of a sense of community that people are are contributing to helping each other so everybody gets better and the sport gets bigger versus, like, no, I have this secret guard pass and if you know it, you're going to teach it and we're going to – like, it's just 
and in the MMA community, I get that because guys are fighting a little bit more, but are you seeing a little bit of the same thing that there's a little bit less of like keeping secrets? And I guess you really can anymore with the freaking internet and everybody posting stuff on YouTube and the daily right. move BJJ fanatics. Right, right. Yeah, definitely a lot less than, a lot less of that, man. I remember when I first started training, I experienced a little bit of that where, you know, uh, if I would go train with a certain person or a different academy, people would be a little upset. Like, hey, you went to train there? Well, you know, you shouldn't train there, whatever, whatever. They're not part of the same team. But I'm glad that we're starting to move away from that because we need to move away from that for the sport to grow, right? If we're, everyone's just, you know, keeping whatever they know to themselves and they don't want to spread the art, then how's it supposed to grow, right? And if it doesn't grow, eventually it'll die out. So I'm glad that we've moved away from that. And I've definitely seen a big difference. And I think that's another reason why the sport has grown to where it is today, because we're getting rid of that old mentality where the whole Creon shade stuff and you can't train there or you're a trader kind of thing is, is something in the past. And I'm glad we're leaving it in the past because we need to, we need to in order for the sport to continue to grow. Yeah, I agree completely. I think it's a great thing. And just the people I meet and the relationships you make, whether it's not even like a jujitsu thing, you meet, you meet guys that can help you out in the business world or, you know, just, just everything. You know, I, I like the people that are on the mat and how it, it just it opens up a lot of doors for a lot of different things. And I haven't really come across many other communities like the jujitsu community that has that sense of, um, I've always loved it. Like on the same day, you have cops and robbers on the mat and they're training like best friends and then they kind of go their separate ways. Like that was always really cool to me that I never realized what people did. And then they leave and it's like, man, he's a, he's a drug dealer and he's a DEA agent, but they're best friends. They're out to lunch. And then they kind of go back. And that was a really cool thing. It all kind of like nothing really matters, but what you're doing there that day. Yeah. Um, You know, a question I have for you too, is it's always interesting to me, especially now that you're running your own jujitsu Academy and you just recently went Abu Dhabi and congratulations and all that. But how are you now? Cause obviously you're the, you're the top dog at your gym. So how are you able to get higher level training and keep yourself sharp? Um, you know, having nobody to really level up with, or, you know, is that like, what do you, what do you do for that? There's always a way to level up. Even if you don't have partners that are technically on the same level as you are. Right. Um, as far as technique. So what you need to do, you need to modify the training. That's something I learned actually spending some time training with Andre Gabao because he spoke about how when he first opened his academy, he only had blue belts and pro belts to train with for his first, uh, not his first, but the first time he won the ADCC. I just lost you for a second. On how to modify the training. And an example of that, a lot of sharp bad spots and you have to work out of them you know things where you put yourself in the disadvantage and this way you force yourself to grow right um another thing i like to do is cross train i'll bring in some other guys i'm a like we just spoke about i'm a huge believer in going out there and seeking other knowledge and, and learning from others so we have this uh comp class once a week at my academy where it's completely free to everybody so I have other black belts coming in from other academies and they'll help me stay sharp. And, you know, we bounce ideas off one another. And as I continue to, to improve, man, and like I said, the, the modified training is super important. I, I credit that the most to my success is, you know, the shark tanks, the, the specific sparring, positional sparring, a lot more drilling. And uh, especially for these last two ADCC camps, I focused on a lot of strength conditioning as well, you know, really making sure that was on point. But yeah, there's there's always ways to improve, right? Um, even if you're the only black belt, there's always a way. If there's if there's a, a will to win, you'll you'll find a way. 
Nice. I like it. So it's, it's the mindset, right? Just the mindset shift there. Yeah, 100%. Nice, man. Nice. So uh, another thing that I wanted to get your take on is as a coach now, guys are coming in and, and, it, and it's a lot different. Like I remember being a white belt and rolling with my first blue belt and thinking that blue belt could beat up anybody. Like it was just the craziest yeah. thing. And now when I go places and I roll with blue belts, I feel like everybody that's a lower belt is way better than I was at that belt. And I can't tell if it's just the way I'm thinking or it's that the sports evolve so much because guys can literally come in now. And like, what, do you, what are you seeing as far as, I feel like the old days, the old days, makes me go old, but people would come in and it was either like a guy wanted to get in shape, a guy who was looking to, you know, got picked on and he wanted to, get some respect and be able to take care of himself or guys that were coming in that were like, I want to be a UFC fighter. And it was kind of like that tough training. Whereas now you probably have a whole generation of guys that are going, I can literally come in and make a career out of being a jujitsu fighter. Like you see guys that are getting enough checks to live off of that they can actually train full time. So what type of diversity are you seeing? The type of people that are coming in and are you seeing that whole new group of that really wasn't around when you probably started or I started you couldn't really make a living just as a jiu-jitsu guy that everybody needed to get into MMA, which there wasn't really a lot of money for that either at that time. Yeah, man. A hundred percent. So like you were saying, I think back, I think about that all the time where, you know, even, you know, right now at my academy, I have some young guys who are blue belts. And I think to myself, man, when these guys, I mean, when, when I was a blue belt, I wasn't, I wasn't as good as they are now. And I even think, I even think about this too. I'm like, man, at blue belt, they have someone like me teaching them. When I was a blue belt, I had another blue belt teaching me. You know, like such a big difference, man. So <clears throat> it, I think it's, it's natural that the blue belts now were, are much better than the blue belts 10, 15 years ago. That's the way it should be, right? That's, that's a good sign in my opinion. It's a, it's a sign of progress that the sport is evolving for the better and leveling up. And going back to what you were saying earlier, you're definitely seeing a lot more athletes step into the jiu-jitsu game now, right? Uh, where I remember when I first started training, most of the guys training were either just guys who, who were police officers, right, here and there, or guys who wanted to fight in the UFC, M MMA guys who were a little crazy, like, yeah, I want to fight in the cage, you know? So that was pretty much the crowd then. But now you got, you got athletes, like real athletes. Like, for example, Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali is an athlete, man. Like, it's crazy. I remember we were at ADCC this past year, and we were down in the gym, and we were, some of the guys were cutting weight. I remember I was sitting in the hot tub sweating, and he came into the hot tub where a bunch of the other competitors were sitting, and he came in, no shirt on, just massive. And I, and I looked at him, and I said, man, Muhammad. I said, why don't you just play in the NFL or something, man? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I've seen this guy do back backflips and cartwheels like no other and he's like 260 but uh you got you know more real real athletes coming into the game because like you said there's there's more of an opportunity for people to make money now make a living and i mean you, 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 a lot more capable people are training jiu-jitsu now you know as far as you know physically gifted so it, it's exciting times man I, and i can only imagine what's going to be like in another 10 15 20 years it's going to be a whole different level yeah, I'm wondering if like five, 10 years from now, they're going to have a shortage of MMA fighters because guys are going to go, well, I don't have to have my brain beat in. Yeah. I can actually make just as much, if not more money, like rolling and grappling and have a longer, you know, you see guys that are doing contact sports with striking and the, you know, 
takes a toll a lot faster than some of the jiu-jitsu stuff does. Oh, yeah, so. oh, yeah man. But it was funny when I did the, uh, the private with Muhammad Ali. Afterwards, he was trying to shoot the video so we could see what we worked on. But he was so much bigger than me that it was like a cartoon that like you couldn't even see me underneath him. So he had to go drag out like the grappling dummy and do it on that. And I was like, it's embarrassing shit right there. <laughs> That's hilarious, man. That's hilarious. Yeah, but so um, on the coaching side of it, have you always been a good teacher? Because I, you know, I know guys that are really good. I, I tell everybody there's plenty of guys that can kick my ass, but a lot of them can't teach me how they did it. They don't have the patience to explain it. Or like right. I was talking to Mark Turner about, one of the things that I've really learned by watching Matt Serra and Ray Longo is how they talk to their athletes. And it's a completely different tone and a completely different conversation depending on the fighter that they're talking to. Because I feel like a good coach needs to know how to talk to each person to get the best out of that. So some guys, you know, you yell at them, you curse at them, you give them tough love, you hurt their feelings and they're walking out the door. And other guys, like, you know, they need that. So is that something that you had to develop over time or you learn from being coached from all these different guys? How is that transition to you to being able? Because obviously you, you know, you're doing big things at Essential Jiu-Jitsu. You got your loyal guys there. So you're doing a great job with them. Obviously, they're staying. Thank you. Thank you, man. Yeah, so I credit that to, you know, all the – experiences I've had over the years you know traveling and training with different instructors and learning how they run their programs but it started early on for me I remember when I first started with martial arts it was with with karate and karate the, my karate teacher was my first jiu-jitsu coach but uh early on I remember after I got my black belt in karate my karate teacher had me uh start assisting with a little kids class so and then after assisting for a few weeks I started teaching a little kids class on my own I was 14 years old teaching little kids karate so I started teaching and coaching from early on, and it was something I loved from the beginning. I was really comfortable with it, and I think my instructor saw that, and that's why he had me do it. So I, I've always enjoyed teaching and coaching. Um, I remember when I first started training jiu-jitsu, I told myself, one day I want to open my own academy and, and be a professor and have my own students. I want to do that. That was always a goal of mine. That's something I've truly enjoyed. And then, of course, traveling the world, I've had the the pleasure and the, you know, the the opportunities to go around the world and train at different academies and learn from different coaches and from that I got to see how different people how different coaches work with the different athletes like you were saying it is it, it is a skill to learn how to communicate with your athletes because everyone's different right not everyone's going to respond to the same thing so you know I had my good experiences with that and bad experiences with that right and with that being said I kind of learned what to do what not to do and what I like to do and I kind of made a whole combination about all those things and kind of put together a formula I think will work best for me and my guys and so far you know it's working out really well for me you know we're still pretty new we're about four years into having the academy um the last two years that my competition team has really started building up and growing so you know I, I want to say within the next five ten years we're going to have you know but we're going to be making some big waves, some big, some big, new, um, some big, some big noise, you know, out there in the competition scene. We already are, you know, a little bit here and there, but we're we're building up, and you know, I got to give credit to the athletes I'm working with, and you know, it, it is interesting though going from a full time competitor to being a competitor and a coach now. But it's fun, man. I like challenges. I've always been someone who's been, uh, you know, I, I get excited when I when I meet a new challenge and I want to crush that challenge. So we're doing well, man. We're doing well, and. Like I said, I give it up to all the experiences I've had, man. The experiences are key, man. They're key to to your success. You know, you have to go out there and learn. If you never learn, you won't you won't know what to do when it's your time to teach, right? Yeah, you know, I agree with that. And I, I heard you saying on another interview how 
initially when you started going into things, you, you were a little bit insecure of like, what do I have to bring to the table? And with all the stuff that you've done in your life, I feel like you have such a, a large ar array of life experiences from traveling all over the world, meeting all these different successful athletes, coaches, gyms, just your perspective and your reference point is something most people don't have. And even just that of, you know, on my side of it, I always say, I've had a lot of bad mentors. I've had a lot of bad teachers. I've been under a lot of bad leaders, but I've always used that as something to teach me like, all right, you know what? I'm going to use that as, an, as a lesson for what I don't want to do and how I don't want to treat people. And like you said, yeah. it's, it's learning what works and what doesn't and what you want to do and what you don't want to do and, and taking that in. So, you know, only being like 30 years old and having all that is, is huge. I mean, you have lifetimes worth of knowledge that people usually don't get and at such a young age to be able to implement that to your students and to people I, I think it's huge man that's that's it's literally priceless thank you man appreciate that man yeah i'm doing my best and and i you know i'm excited to see where, where we're at in five ten years man we're only getting better and i'm only getting better as a coach myself too i always say that to myself i'm only improving man the same way i improve with my jiu-jitsu skills i'm also improving as a teacher as a coach as an instructor so Working hard, man. The work never stops. If you guys are getting anything from the podcast and some of the great knowledge and tips that the guests are sharing, please take a minute and leave a review on iTunes or any of your platforms with some stars and some comments, helping spread the promotion and spread some visibility for the podcast, for the guests, and for the knowledge so we can continue to do this. It'll only take a minute. I appreciate it if you guys could take the time. It would go a very, very long way. Again, leave a review on iTunes. Start to share. Start to spread the word. I really would appreciate it if you're getting anything out of this. Thank you. Nice, nice. Have you always been humble like that, man? Because I was actually surprised how you're so normal and like laid back and just like very relaxed and approachable. And, you know, for somebody that's doing such an aggressive sport and always doing these things, like you don't really have that like, like hard asshole kind of like I'm going to beat you up kind of thing. Like you're really easygoing. Again, very humble guy for all the stuff you've accomplished. Has that always kind of been your personality? It always has, man. It's just, you know, what my parents have taught me from early on. Um, you know, they that's what they've always taught me, man. My my parents were, were hard workers themselves, and there were people who worked hard, and they didn't need to brag about it, you know. So I, I learned that early on in my life. And then, um, you know, some of the best champions I've liked to study and learn from, I felt always had the same approach where, you know, they were quiet, they would show up, and, and they would do what they have to do, and that's it. You know, let it be at that. And, you know, for me, that's just that's just who I really am at the end of the day, too. You know, I like to do what I got to do. But other than that, I keep to myself, keep it quiet, and keep it moving. Nice, man. I like that. It's the way to be. Just keep your head down and do the work, right? Let your accomplishments yeah. speak for themselves. Exactly, man. Earn your Shake Shack. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Nice, man. So, I mean, one, one of the uh, one of the biggest things that I like to do on this podcast, especially I like, you know, one of my favorite sayings is how you do anything is how you do everything. So I've always been a big believer that the guys that get their black belts, the guys that excel in anything, that hard work and that discipline and being able to just step up and take risks and face the adversity and, you know, deal with the obstacles and just get around them and do your stuff anyway can be applied to anything. So, you know, guys like you and, you know, I was talking to Raging Ally Quinta and I was like, dude, all the stuff you accomplished in fighting and in wrestling and in MMA, you'll do the same thing if you take that same discipline and work ethic into real estate. You know, he's doing that type of stuff. So I love talking to people who just do things differently and just, you know, take whatever the task is and just crush it. And I liked your story about the way you did that because I had never heard 
some of the things you did before about the way you just went to California, you didn't have a plan, you didn't have a place to go, and the way you came back to New York. And even, um, I used to, to flip a lot of properties in Delaware. So I know that drive from New York to Delaware, I used to have to do it a lot. It's not fun, it's not easy. And you were doing that like every day. So, yeah. you know, for anybody who, oh, well, it's so hard and I couldn't find a space or I didn't have a place to go, or I, you don't have any excuses. You just do shit and you figure it out and you have faith and you put the work in. And all that stuff worked out, you know, and everybody can come up with a million excuses of why they didn't do this or they didn't have that. And like none of your story was any of that. It was just, I want to do this. And, um, and one of the things I was going to quote you on, which I thought was brilliant, was how you, um, you people are afraid of hard and people are afraid of difficult. And yeah. now in a time when people are facing that, I've seen less anxiety and stress from guys that are BJJ fighters, MMA fighters, entrepreneurs, real estate guys, because I feel like running your own business, competing in a sport, this is just another obstacle. Like it sucks, it's COVID, like there's business stuff, I get it, but at the end of the day, it's just another uncomfortable position. And somebody like you is not uncomfortable being uncomfortable. You know how to stay calm and work your way out of it. And I feel like that's what it takes, but the people that have never really had to deal with adversity and, and having their back up against the wall or being in an uncomfortable position, they are freaking out right now. Yeah. So I feel like those same lessons you learn on the mat carry over to life and help you thrive in situations like this. And what you had said on that other podcast was that you'd rather take the chance than live with the what if. And, I, and that's been my whole philosophy. As scared as I've ever been to do anything, it would never suck as bad as living with the regret of like, what if I did that? Or, you know, facing that I didn't do that. So if you could give some, uh, a little bit of a background on that whole story about how you just kind of went out to California and then all the stuff you did to get that gym open. Cause I just think it's just an amazing inspirational story of success. Yeah. Yeah, man. It, it you know, it, it was an experience that I would never forget. And I'm glad I took the experience and I, and I, and I took the, the chance and did what I did. So I remember when it was time for me to move to California, I remember it was a time where we, we left, you know, the, our Academy in Maryland and we were trying to decide, you know, what we're going to do. I remember, you know, when we left, it wasn't the, on the best, you know, on the best, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it was just a crazy time, right? It, it was a wild time. I remember we were just kind of figuring out what, what to do next. So when I, when I was figuring it out, I remember one of my friends, Keenan Cornelius, he moved out to California first. I remember he asking me first, he, he asked me, he goes, hey, man, if you were to go to California, where would you train? I said, man, I would probably train at Otto's Jiu-Jitsu under Andre Gabao. He goes, all right, I'm going to go check it out, man. I'm going to go out to California. I'm like, all right, cool, man, let me know how it is. At the time, I went back to New York, and I was just staying with my dad and mom. I, I was staying with my dad in Jersey, my mom in New York, going back and forth between the two. And I remember just reaching out to Keenan every, every now and then. We were staying in contact through text, and I remember him telling me, dude, the training out here is amazing. You should come out here, this and this and that. I'm like, man, I don't know if I can come out there. You know, how am I going to go out there? And, he, and he's the one who told me, he goes, hey, man, you have no responsibilities right now. You're 22. He goes, just come out here, man. Just come out and train. And I said, you know what? Screw it, man. I got I to gotta take the chance. I'm going to go and do it. I'm going to pursue this dream of mine. Uh, Andre Gabba has always been someone that I've admired. You know, I've idolized his jiu-jitsu. You know, I've always held him up here as far as jiu-jitsu heroes of mine. So I, I remember I packed a suitcase. I had a one-way ticket, and I had a couple hundred bucks to my name, man. I didn't have anything, really. And no plan. I had literally no plan. I remember messaging Andre Gabba, telling him, hey, can I come out to the academy? I want to come train. He actually called me which is really cool. He goes, Hey man, definitely. I would love to have you at the gym. Come out, uh, come out and train. I'm like, all right, cool. So 
So I literally got on a plane with no plan. I got hopped on a plane, one way ticket, one bag. I think I had like four or 500 bucks to my name. And uh, we got there. I was like, all right, time to figure shit out. You know, what we're going to do next. And I ended up staying on people's couches. I remember I ended up staying under, uh, uh, I understand, under, where did I stay at first? I, I, I stayed with uh, Leo. Yeah, that's right. Leo, he was the white belt instructor at Otto's. And he let us stay at his uh, apartment where we were staying on the floor of his, of his living room. Some of the guys were sleeping in the car downstairs. Like it was crazy times, man. It was wild. But you know, that situation where my back was against the wall, where I had to figure out what's the next move, helped me grow, man. It helped me grow and level up uh, my mindset. You know, I always say it, it helped me become a man when I made that decision to go out to California where I had nothing and I had no, you know, no family to go to, no close friends. You know, I had to figure it out on my own. And it's one of the best decisions I've ever made for myself. And then fast forward four years after that, I made the decision to move back to New York. Um, I always joke around that I spent those four years, like my college years in, in California, learning and getting my degree and all that. And then I said, you know what, it's time to meet, for me to open my own academy. And I remember deciding to move back to New York. Um, it was the same deal, man. We're like, we don't know what we're going to do. Um, but we're going to go back and open an academy. We don't know how we're going to go about it, but we're going to do it and we're going to figure it out. I remember when we, when we first moved back, it was me and my girlfriend then, now she's my, my fiance. Uh, we ended up staying with her family in Delaware, Wilmington, Delaware. Because we didn't, we didn't have, we, first of all, we didn't know where we were going to put the academy. We didn't have a spot picked out yet. We didn't want to rent an apartment and, you know, ha open the academy further away or, you know, 30 minutes away from the apartment. So I remember we moved back to Delaware and we were staying with her parents and every other day we're going up the turnpike to go look at places and, and try to find a place. And that was brutal, man. Two and a half hours each way. Um, and we did that for a while, man. We did that for like six, seven months until we found a place for the academy. And then Open the Academy was a, a beast of its own, man. It just, you know, and I'm sure you know this, that, you know, that's your world, man. Like getting permits and, and getting uh, architects and, and engineers and this and that. A bunch of things I never knew I had to do to open up a business or, or build out a place. Um, and the, the real estate market was tough, man. I remember looking for the place and, and, and trying to budget rent and this and that. So it was an experience that made me step up though. And it's an experience I would never, uh, I, would, I would do it again in a heartbeat because it, it helped me grow as a person and get me to where I'm at today. Nice, man, I love that. Are you, what are some of the things you do? Because again, I, I think, People that don't know, like um, my buddy Mark, I just did his thing with, he's a drummer for Taking Back Sunday. And, and we were talking about how I've seen him play in front of three people. And then I've seen them play in front of like 40,000 people. And, it's, and you know, it's, it's been the same thing every time, but like you slowly grow. And when people see you play in front of this big crowd, you think, oh, it must've always been easy. It must be great to be this rock star. But people only see when you're up here, they don't see like all those ups and downs and how people want to quit or have those tough days and a big thing I like to do especially when I talk to successful people is show that like if they get nothing else that somebody's trying to accomplish something open a gym get into jujitsu get a black belt start to flip some properties and they're having a tough time especially now like COVID whatever loans are tough they can't work like that's just another obstacle and everybody who's on the top of anything has had to deal with obstacles on somewhat along the way but you get past them you learn from them and you don't quit but nobody just had this straight path it's always been like kind of a rocky road to the top it's it's cliche but it's you know it's true 
Yeah. What do you do when you're in those tough situations and you're feeling down or you're feeling insecure, or you're kind of bummed out or you're hitting a lot of walls? What do you do to keep yourself positive and keep your, your head in the game and get focused and, you know, just get up and, and hit the next day and not take the same beatings? Man, I write down my goal, right? So I have my goal written down on a whiteboard or a piece of paper. And then when I do, I start writing uh, different routes to that goal. You know, one round didn't work. I start writing down, okay, what can I do differently this time around to get to that goal that I want to? So I think, you know, what helps me during those situations and during those times is always setting uh, or having the goal that you set in mind. Always remind yourself of the goal because it's easy to get derailed, right? Because the road is tough usually for, you know, for something that you want that's worth having. It's always going to be tough. So it's easy to, to hit a bump in the road and say, screw this, I'm done. But, you know, during those, during those days and times, remind yourself of the goal. When I remind myself of the goal, it keeps me moving forward. You know, I tell myself, okay, that's right. This is why I'm doing all of this. I want to achieve X, Y, and Z. And like I said, I'll write it down on a board. I'll write down what I need to do to get to that goal. And I remind myself, I remind myself of it. And a perfect example of that is, is a training camp, for example. Like this last training camp I did for ADCC, I had a whole binder full of the workouts, specific workouts for every day I was going to do leading up to the tournament. And there was days where I woke up and I said, man, screw this, man. I don't want to do this. I already won. I don't need, you know, why do I need to go do this again? I'm tired. I'm, I'm sore. I'm running a business at the same time. What am I doing? But I will look at the, the, the worksheet that I had to complete. I'm like, okay, I got to do this workout. And at the end of the worksheet, it says, if I do this workout, I'm one step closer to becoming ADCC champion. So keeping my goal in mind is what helped me through those situations. Because at the end of the day, the mind will play tricks on us, right? The mind will tell us, hey, quit. It's much easier. Relax, you know? But, but we got to keep moving forward, man. We got to keep moving forward and get the mind back on track. And, and keeping the goal in mind will help you do that. I think that that's spot on, man. It's, it's so easy to get focused on something else when things get hard. And I'm watching it. I, I was on a couple of webinars uh, this week, and it was people that were starting to get into real estate. And a couple guys got up and they were like, I'm not doing real estate anymore. I'm selling shit on Amazon. Yeah. And half the people were like, well, we're still going to do real estate. And the other half were like, talk to me about the Amazon thing. And it was like, yeah, but in six months when the Amazon thing actually takes work, you're going to be like, talk to me about stocks. You know what I mean? It's everybody's looking for that magic pill, but it's because it's easier to start new and focus on something else and the follow through when things get tough. And I really like the fact that I told everybody, I say pretty much every episode, but I don't think there's anything great about me except for the people that I know. I know really cool people. I know really successful people. And I've found that to be a huge gift for me because I get to talk to people like you or listen, like I'm stressed out about doing the golden gloves. And I'm like, why am I even doing this? Like, I'm, I'm fine. I should just go buy another house or something. Yeah. And I get to have Pete Drago sell sit there and talk to me about like his experiences or, you know, talk to Wyman and having other people just remind you of like, oh yeah, like this is the goal. Like, and this is how you get there and being surrounded by people that hit that every day. That support to me is is huge you know I, I i didn't come from money but i came from supportive parents who really believed in me and supported me for anything i did and just kind of hey if that's what you want to do you go after it, believe in you and that to me was more important than having financial backing and you know you touched on that you came from california with your fiance had to stay at your in-laws house she had to find a place with you and um she's been really really nice for being your, your partner while we do privates and stuff. And people bad, like, nah, not a joke, not a joke. But she's been awesome. And um, some of the stories I've heard you say, it sounds like your dad has been really supportive to you as well. So how, yeah. um, how has that been for having that, that support system there for you as family by your side on those tough times and getting you through that? 
it's key, man. It, it's, I would say it's the key to my success. And, um, you know, there, no one wants to see me win more than my, than my loved ones. Right. And I always say that no one wants to see you win more than your loved ones. And, you know, your mom, your dad, you know, the people who really love you, you know, and of course there's a lot of people out in the world that are going to like you and love you and care for you, but no one has that love for you. Like mom and dad, right. Or brother, sister, you know, wife, husband, whatever, whatever it is. So, uh, having that support system around you is key, man. And that support system is basically people who believe in you. You need to surround yourself with people who believe in you. You know, too many times where I see athletes surrounding themselves with people who, who are just around them because, you know, either they they have something they, they want or, you know, they're, they're yes men or, you know, things like that. You need to surround yourself with people who really have the best intentions for you because they'll tell you the truth. You know, um, I remember when I, before I made the decision to move to California, I was actually thinking about opening an academy right there and then at 22 years old. I was going to say, you know what, I'm going to open my school either here in New York, New Jersey. I remember my dad, my dad told me, he goes, man, you're too young to do that. Don't open an academy yet. He goes, you should go to California. So I was like, wow, you know, my dad told me the truth and, and he laid it out there for me. And that's what encouraged me to go out of California even more. You know, I had the support from my dad. My dad said, don't open a gym yet. He goes, even though I would love for you to be here full time with us, you know, I love you. I want you to be here in New Jersey or New York, somewhere where we're close. He goes, but you're too young to do that. Um, not saying you can't accomplish your, your comparative goals while doing that, but you're too young to do that right now. He goes, go, go to California. He goes, go to California and focus on you. And I said, wow, man, well, thank you, dad. And, and I left, man. And I left and. You know, I left for four years, but because I had someone, somebody in my corner who had the best intentions for me, you know, they, they helped me stay on the path because who knows where I'd be today if I did open a gym. Maybe the gym would be doing well, but maybe I would never be a two-time ADCC champion, right? So having that, having that support system around you is, is key, man. It, it is key to success. That's awesome, man. And that's a really big deal for your dad to put his stuff aside for the greater good of you. I'm sure it's never easy for a parent to tell your kid, you know, go away for four years. But, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's like you said, man, I agree with that huge, that support system is big. And, and again, having people that are yes men and telling you when things are good and things are bad, I think people miss that a lot of the time. I just had that conversation with my buddy Mark, and I was like, dude, when you, your first album came out and I called you up and I told you I didn't like it and I felt like a dick. And he was like, I'm really happy you did that. He's like, that's what I need is somebody to tell you, like, this sucks. And then your next one came out. And now I trust your judgment that when you said you like it, you like it. So, you know, I think that that's, that's very, very important as well. Um, you mentioned goals. How do you, how do you, how often do you write them down? How do you keep them? How do you adjust them? Um, you know, I'm a big goal guy. I was talking to Ally Quinta about this and he was saying he writes down his goals every single day and yep. he's constantly moving them or realigning them because, you know, things shift, things move around. But he, he literally was like, the only goal I haven't hit this year is the goal I haven't written down. And since then, I mean, I, I literally have a sheet on my refrigerator right now. And it's just the same stuff I would have had on my phone. But for some reason, because I take a pen and I check it off every day and I have to look at it all the time, I've been way more productive. And it sounds like such a primitive step backwards to be like, print out a sheet of paper and check off some boxes. But I'm, I'm kicking this quarantine's ass because of that paper. And so... How do you how do you look at your goals? How do you track your goals? How do you readjust your goals? Yeah, uh, I, so I have a big whiteboard here in my living room, and I write down everything I want to accomplish. So 
and, and I'll write things from short-term goals to, you know, long-term goals too. So I'll write down EDCC 2019, for example. I remember I wrote that down. I wrote down a whole little section of the tours I have coming up, seminars I was teaching and things like that. And I will check off everything I will hit. You know, I was almost looking at like a, like missions, right? So I'm like, okay, this is a mission I completed. Check it off. So I do the same thing that you do there. Um, but writing down the goals to me is important. There's nothing like writing down the goals and be able to visually see it every day. You can put it on your phone. That's true. But, you know, you can be on your phone scrolling through Instagram or Facebook and never take a look at your, your goals, right? And I, this is something I always took from my dad, too. My dad always told me there's no, there's, there is no memory better than a pencil and pen or pencil, pen, and paper. He goes, write it down. Write it down. That's, that's how you're really going to remember things. So uh you know i've always carried that for for the for my entire life you know those teachings from my dad and that's something i still do today so i'll write down short-term long-term goals and then i'll adjust the goals as i go so for example if i'll check something off i'll move on to the next one or if i didn't accomplish the goal let's say i failed the goal um even though i i didn't accomplish it i learned from it so i write down what did i learn from this what can i do better and what's the next step after this right so writing down those goals and having them somewhere where you can see them every day is key because now when you wake up, it gives you, um, it gives you a reason to wake up and go out there and work hard, right? That, at least that works for me. So when I see on the board ADCC 2019 when I was training for it, when I would wake up and see that on the whiteboard on my way out, it would remind me, okay, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing because that goal right there that I have written right up there, this is why I'm working towards, right? So I'm going to continue working hard. So writing down goals is super important, man. Nice. And, and I've heard you talk about having that on there. Sometimes just having that in the back of your mind will make you think twice about grabbing the donut or sleeping in a little bit later. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The goals will keep you in check, man. Keeping goals keep you in check. I always tell my students, if you don't have goals, you have nothing to work towards. Right? You don't have a reason to wake up in the day and work towards something. Right? So having goals, wherever the goal may be, maybe losing five pounds. But if that's your goal, you're going to make conscious effort to not eat that donut, right, to make the weight. Or if your goal is to get a black belt in jiu-jitsu, you're going to wake up and make sure you get a class, get, make sure you get to training, get your sessions in. You're going to make sure you're working towards that goal. But if you don't have a goal, you know, sometimes I'll ask people, like, what's your goal? And they're like, well, I don't know. I'm like, man, you have no direction then. Like, you have no reason to, to work hard. So write down a goal. Goals will always keep you on track to success, man. Always, always. It gives you a reason. You need a reason to work hard every day and, and remind yourself of those reasons. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like a GPS. If you don't know where you want to go, you can't put a des no destination in the GPS and expect to get anywhere. So, you know, I, it took me a while to understand that. And, and it's right now, like, you have to figure out where it is so you can kind of reverse engineer it backwards. And, you know, discipline-wise, every time I think about that drive from Delaware to uh, New York, dude, my fat ass gained so much weight on that because I stopped at every rest stop and got like Burger King and Cinnabon and a Zions, like every stop along the way. So I was like, oh, I'll do the drive, I'll go out there. But it was really because I wanted to like hit Roy Rogers along the way. It's terrible. It's terrible. But so as far as business now too, because again, I like, to, I like to talk on the business side of stuff. What are some things going in? Because there's always surprises, like you were saying, the permitting and things like that. But now transitioning in from being a full-time athlete who just had to worry about training to now being a business owner, running your own academy, dealing with students, dealing with staff, um, working with your, your fiance. She, she worked with you at the gym, right? Yep, yep. What are some things that you learned that you didn't expect on the business side of things that you weren't aware of prior? Uh, taxes. Taxes <laughs> was a big thing. <laughs> 
taxes, man, all the different types of taxes. I thought there's just one tax, man. There's a whole bunch of different ones too. So that's one thing that uh, I had to learn uh, right off the bat, man, about um, other things too, just uh, reinvesting the money. You know, when, you know, that's something that I did early on. I still continue to do, you know, and I think sometimes people don't do that. You know, they see the money and they get excited and like, hey, let's go, you know, let's go do, let's take a trip or let's buy a new car, which, you know, there's times where you got to treat yourself too. But uh, I, I told myself early on, you know, when, when the academy starts making money, the, our first goal was to get the bills covered, right? When we first went into the academy. Okay, our goal right now is to get X amount of students. I remember we did the math. We need X amount of students to get everything covered and break even. So that's what, that, that was the first goal. Then the second goal was to start making enough money, start uh, paying some, some staff, right? So then we hit that goal. Then the next goal was to start making enough money through the business to start paying ourselves. So I started paying myself after uh, a member. Yeah, I just recently started paying myself from the academy, like the last six months. And I've been running the gym three years now, three and a half years. Um, and then the next goal was to, okay, how can we make money, pay the bills, pay the instructors and, and keep reinvesting to, you know, eventually open a bigger Academy. So that's, you know, learning how to manage the money was a, a big thing in the beginning too, you know, how, where to put the money, where to invest it, you know, into the marketing section of it, or, or, you know, let's put in uh, nicer locker rooms or let's do this or that. So learning how to spread the money out to keep the place running, right? Because that's, that's, uh, that can be tricky to navigate through. But once you find the balance, I think that's what helps you continue to grow your business and be successful with the business. Yeah, money management is huge. I think people don't realize that, but there's a reason why statistically most people who win the lottery are broke within a year. And, and professional athletes like football players who make a million dollars a weekend will retire almost broke because that money management side of it. So again, being young and not having a business background, I think that that's awesome that you figured it out when you did. It's just a, a huge piece there. And um, so talk a little bit about what's um, what's next, what's on the horizon for you. Um, I know it's been a little bit of a weird time, but you started yeah. doing privates virtually. We started doing them through Zoom. And yeah. those, those are actually awesome. I didn't know how they were going to go because it was like jujitsu, but even some of the details we were doing with where to place your hands for the guillotine show and things like that. That was really cool. I got a lot out of that. So I know people can reach you and do that, but talk a little bit about how, um, how people can find you, find your Academy online, privates, all the stuff you have going on, your, your DVDs. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, during these times, obviously not a lot of people have the, you know, the, most people can't train, right? Most, most, I think all academies are pretty much closed for the most part, uh, at least here in the United States. So, you know, right now training physically is, is kind of out of the question as far as going to an academy, but for those who do have, you know, uh, a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, brother, sister, mom, dad, or a dog that they can drill with, or even a grappling dummy. Grappling dummies are, are, are key right now. And it's actually pretty cool. I've seen a lot of videos on how people have been making their own grappling dummies, right? Um, but yeah, so I've been trying to stay active with my students. And through that, I started providing prior lessons online. And this is something people have reached out to me in the past about where they're like, hey, do you do any talks about, you know, mindset or, you know, approach to like writing out a game plan as far as how to build a training camp and how to structure it or this or that. I'm like, not really. I don't really have time for that. Right. Cause I'm teaching training and, and lifting and running every day, all day. But now that I have time, I started doing that. And I started kind of, uh, kind of learning that, man, I do like doing this here. I do like talking to people about, uh, you know, you know, it's good to teach technique and all that, but, but it's good. It's cool to teach about mindset. You know, how do I approach a tournament? 
where's my mind at? How do I build the training camp? So I've been doing a lot of those. And then like we've been doing the one-on-ones with technical questions. Those have been really fun too, actually. Uh, I think it gives me a chance to, to uh, further break down the technique because now I can't teach you physically, right? Now I have to teach you through, through the lens of the computer. So it, it forces me to explain the techniques even better. So I think it's only going to help my teaching improve you know, these times. So if people want to find me, you guys can find me on Instagram at jtorresbjj. Uh, you can find my uh, Instagram for my academy at centralbjj. I also have an online academy that it's been growing. People have been enjoying it where I post, you know, technique videos, sparring videos, and that's essential BJJ online. Uh, so yeah, so I have a few different spots where people can check me out at and, and uh, I'll be willing to work with anybody and everybody who wants to work over the computer. We'll make it work. And you know, I think it's a new, th- these times have maybe discovered new tools that we can use. Even when we get back to the academy, we can continue growing this section of, of, of jiu-jitsu, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. Again, it's just, it's another obstacle. And whenever there's, there's obstacles, there's innovation. And I feel yeah. like they're innovating. I didn't even think about that, that from your side of it, you had to think of a whole new way. Because I love teachers. I feel like people who teach stuff, their foundations are always more solid because you constantly are asked questions that maybe you haven't thought of yourself in a while or people are throwing you like these weird things. But I thought what was cool was the two privates we did were both completely different. So we did one that I was like, dude, I'm fat. I I can't stop eating. I I can't go back to the academy in six weeks out of shape. So you gave me like a half hour worth of stuff that I could do for drills so I could get that cardio up. And they really have been working good. I've been hitting two or three times a week. And it's getting that itch. Like, I feel like, uh, you know, I got a roll in almost like the closest thing you can get to it. So I feel like that'll help. And then we did some technical stuff. So, you know, I'm finding I could do like a half hour of some of those drills to get the motions down, keep the muscle memory. And then I can just kind of grab the dummy and rep some of the other things and work on some of the techniques. So if anybody's looking for something like cardiovascular or fitness wise to stay in shape, those drills that you're doing on Zoom are definitely a win. And even just the technical stuff, man, I think uh, has been absolutely awesome. And Again, the online stuff's been really cool. So I appreciate it, man. One of the, uh, one of the last things I wanted to, to ask is I'd like to close out and just say, let's say I was, I was writing a book and I was going to have a chapter for you at the end. And I said, you know, after speaking to everybody on my podcast for this year, this is from JT Torres, what his one piece of advice would be for you to be successful in whatever you do. What would your advice be to somebody just for whatever, mindset, training, um, technical stuff, just something that you would want to pass on to somebody starting their journey? I would say it's, it's never going to be, there's never such thing as the right time. There's never such thing as the right time. You've got to go out there and do it, man. You got to do it when you see the opportunity, seize it. Don't, don't sit back and be like, hey, I'm going to wait for my time. There's never a right time. Just go out and get it. I love that. Very wise words. Very well said. I really appreciate you giving me the time. I, help, I appreciate all this stuff on the mat, off the mat. Um, definitely let's link up next week and, uh, and get some more privates going with that dummy. Uh, I hope everything goes back to normal and you get back in the academy soon, but I'll post all the show links when this comes out for how they can uh, hit you online, hit your academy, and definitely jump on and get those DVDs at BJJ Fanatics. Any final thoughts, Mr. JT Torres? Man, I appreciate you having me on the show today, man. It's an honor and, and appreciate everything. Man. I appreciate your friendship for the last couple of years now and uh, shout out to the whole community, man. We're going we're gonna to make it through. We're going to make it through. Just stay strong out there. Definitely, man. I appreciate you doing it. I appreciate you always being a good guy. I uh, wish you best of luck. Tell the fiance thank you, and uh, and I'll hit you up next week. We'll work something out. Take care, brother. Thank you. Thanks, man. Have a good day. You too. I get a lot of questions from people on uh, wanting to pick my brain, wanting to ask me about 
what I do, how do I do it, all kinds of things across the spectrum. One of the things I try and answer back with is there's a few different ways that we can work together. People can either um, participate by being a buyer, being a seller, or being a partner, and that's really the best way to learn. So if people have questions that have reached out to me, the best thing to do is jump on www.nicknicknick.com. And you can schedule a consultation if you're looking to sell properties, buy part properties, partner on some deals, or just get a general consultation to see where we can even fit in and where we can do business together. On any level, there's options for that to set some stuff up. So please visit www.nicknicknick.com to buy, to sell, or to partner on real estate deals or opportunities. That is the place to go. That is the best way to start making money and learning the process. 